0: The following
1: program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about. This is your financial show, Central PA, Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580.
0: Welcome, everyone. Tim Decker here with you. Financial Freedom. Thank you for... Joining myself and my awesome producer, Mr. J.C., on this beautiful, beautiful Saturday morning here in South Central Pennsylvania. What a beautiful day it looks like we're going to have. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you want to join the show, uh, you can give me a call with any questions or comments or anything that you'd like to discuss with me. My pledge, as always, is I will passionately do my very best to provide you with straightforward unbiased information and guidance. You can reach me here dialing 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or toll-free 800-724-5801. Again, that's 800-724-5801. Or you can shoot me an email here live during the show by emailing radio at comcast.net that's FF Radio at comcast.net as always uh if you have something that you want to be certain that we converse about the sooner that you reach out the greater the likelihood we will be able to get to your call and or email uh, invariably it seems like we have some that i don't get to at the end of the show um and i i don't like that but uh time uh goes by rather quickly and uh, we do take your calls and or email in the order of which we receive them. So we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about your IRA accounts, your mutual funds, uh, your insurance policies, annuities, ETFs, uh, investing in general? You want uh, my opinion on uh, perhaps any changes you are considering making to your investments? Anything. As I said, if it's important to you, it is important to me. Well, we're wrapping up the third quarter here. And let me ask you, how is your portfolio looking year to date? And the reason why I'm asking this is depending upon how you are invested is going to have a major impact on your year-to-date results. Now, let me start out by saying year-to-date, that being essentially nine months, is an extremely, extremely short time period. And one's results should never, ever be examined through the lens of such a short time period. But I'm going to use this time period to talk about not only how you're invested, but relatively speaking, what are you comparing the returns of your investments to? Would you, as an investor, let's rewind, without knowing the results in advance, which obviously no one ever does, but if you were going to invest, let's say, $500,000, of your life savings on January 1st of this year and you had a choice to invest that in two types of portfolios, which one would you choose? The first option is simply investing all 500000 of it in the S&P 500 index. That's it. The other option is investing that 500,000 in a global diversified portfolio which would also include the S&P 500 index but additionally about 10,000 to 11,000 more companies which would include small as well as large medium Growth companies value some companies in the real estate industry. And as I mentioned, since it would be a global portfolio, let's assume that that would include roughly a third of it outside the U.S. and roughly two thirds in the U.S. Well, let's let's just talk about this first from a risk perspective. Which do you think? Is riskier investing it all in portfolio one which is isolated to strictly the S&P 500 index or portfolio option number two which not only owns that but invests in thousands of more companies throughout the world and let's add one other thing to that global diversified portfolio Let's say that, that you wanted to include roughly 30% of that 500000 in things like U.S. government bonds, intermediate term, and also some short-term government bonds. So again, which portfolio would you have chosen from a risk standpoint? Well, any prudent person... Easily would say the div- the globally diversified portfolio where I own over 10,000 companies throughout the world as well as some government bonds is substantially, substantially more diversified and thus less risky. However, if you look at the returns year to date, as of Friday, guess what? The much riskier option, which was strictly the S&P 500 index, would have provided you a return of roughly 10.5% year to date. The global diversified portfolio would have provided you a return of roughly 2 to 25 Now, this obviously is with the benefit of hindsight, which we know no one can predict in advance what returns will be. But what I want to talk with you about, and we're going to go to our break here, is I want to talk to you about the difference between process and outcome. Which should you focus on? Which can you control? And I want to talk with you about does the outcome dictate the validity of the process? Think about that during the break. Does the outcome, do the results determine how valid and how prudent the process was that led you to wherever you are? Okay, we're going to take our first break when we come back we'll pick right back up again as we are discussing things here this morning if you have anything you'd like to speak with me about I'd love to hear from you you can reach me 717-540-0580 toll free it's 800-724-5801 or shoot me a quick email here live at ffradio at comcast.net i'm tim decker and this is the program where we do our very best to look out for your best interest Not the interest of Wall Street. We'll be right back.
1: A lot of financial advisors won't want you to hear what we say. This is the financial show that represents you, not Wall Street. This is Financial Freedom with Tim Decker on WHP 580.
0: Welcome back. Financial Freedom. This is the show where we do not waste your time nor my time talking about speculative ways t- to invest, i.e. talking about individual stocks, talking about in, uh, individual sectors as tr- attempting to make any investment decisions by speculating in such ways is a losing game. What we instead talk about are principles and concepts that are founded in evidence-based investing principles coming right out of the halls of academia so it's my goal each and every Saturday to hopefully give you some nuggets here that will help you make wise financial decisions for both you and your family okay let's go to Dave from Wormleysburg hi Dave how are you sir and how may I help you Dave, okay, all right. We got to fix something with the uh, with the phones here. JC will be all over it. Okay, um, I actually got an email here. Let's just see what the email is here. Let me bring this up. Okay, Mike writes in and says, a few weeks ago, a caller asked your opinion on this fund. The fund he's talking about is the Metropolitan West Total Return Fund. You ran out of time and could not answer. I never heard a follow-up, and if you did, I apologize. So what is your opinion? Thanks. And you have the best show with the best sound advice. Thank you, Mike. That was very kind. Um, the Metropolitan West Total Return Fund is a very popular bond fund, which I have actually seen added um, over the last few years to many 401K plans, actually. um. And depending upon a financial advisor that you may be working with, they may even be recommending it. I would not recommend it. And the reason why is um the r- reason that it has become so popular has to do with something referred to as recency bias. You may have heard me talk about this before, Mike, but recency bias is simply the bias that we as human beings have and the way that our brain is wired to assume that what has recently been taking place will automatically continue to take place or is very likely to take place. And what we know in the world of investing, recency bias is a very dangerous thing. It may be something that is reliable when you're looking at shopping for, say, a washing machine. You may go on to Consumer Reports and look at the different brands and see what brands have been the most reliable, say, over the last three, four, five years. It may be reliable to evaluate what kind of vehicle you're going to purchase. But in the world of investing, recency bias is a very dangerous thing because what we know And what the evidence clearly shows is what has been performing well recently is not necessarily going to continue to do so. In fact, when you look at the academic research that has been done on this, you'll find that quite often when they have looked at the top performing mutual funds, say, over the last five years, five years, and those that, let's say, were up in the top quartile, when you look at the persistency of the following five years, how many of those top performers ended up remaining in the top quartile? The vast majority of them do not. In fact, many of them actually end up in the bottom quartile. So when you are thinking about this fund, the Metropolitan West uh bond fund, what has been so attractive to so many people is this fund has had over the past several years one of the best returns of bond funds out there. However, when you look at the actual expenses of the fund and you look at how the fund is managed, what you're going to find out is the expenses relative to low-cost index funds are much higher. Even the institutional fund itself, the Metropolitan West Total Return Bond Institutional, has an expense ratio of 0.45, or almost a half a percent a year, versus if you go with a low-cost institutional price government bond funds, say through Vanguard or Fidelity or wherever, your expenses are going to be roughly a third of that, if not less, number one. Number two, what we have learned is that expenses are extremely important. In fact, Morningstar's own research several years ago when they looked at what were the most reliable indicators Of future performance, not past, but future, they said that in every scenario of their research, the most reliable indicator that they discovered was, you guessed it, low expenses. So that's one thing. The second problem that I have with this fund is it is an actively managed fund, which means... Again, in spite of all of the evidence that we see over and over again, Standard Poor's comes out with a n- new report about every six months in their SPIVA report. SPIVA standing for uh, uh, Standard Poor uh, Indexes versus Active Managers. What we see is over long periods of time, say five, ten, and the longer you go, the more this becomes obvious. That active managers, whether it be stock funds or bond funds, again, the vast majority of them are not able to compete with and keep up with what is available for everyone out there, which is a low-cost index fund. And the reason why is, predominantly, it's the higher expenses that they have to overcome as a hurdle up front, but additionally you have managers that are trying to find mispriced securities that they think are selling at a price that's too low or selling at a price that's too high that they will sell. Or in this case, when you're looking at bond funds, there is an attempt to not only choose bonds that they believe are going to have higher future returns, but they also make an attempt to speculate on what they believe interest rates are going to do. And if you remember, I think I talked about this last week, the Federal Reserve Board controls short-term rates, which affects things like money market rates and CD rates and prime rates at the bank, but they do not control bond market rates. So in summary, I'm not a fan of this fund I would never recommend it, nor would I recommend any other uh, uh, actively managed bond funds where you have managers attempting to speculate and believe that they can identify what's going to happen to interest rates in the future. The other thing that I would say is the average credit quality of this bond fund. In other words, when you look at the actual bonds, Morningstar, and I'm looking at it right now, is showing that the average credit quality of this is triple B, which is right above, just right above the level of what we call junk bonds. And what I want and what I would suggest for you is you want in your bond holdings, bonds that are predominantly U.S. government bonds and definitely everything being investment grade. Because the whole purpose of your bonds and your bond funds is to be the shock absorber, is to be the safety valve when your stock holdings and when the stock markets throughout the world go through periods of decline. And if you go back to 2008, when we had that major decline, which began at the end of 2007, October 9th, 2007, and went all the way down through 2008 and finally bottomed out March of 2009. A good government bond fund was an investor's best friend. I can tell tell you for a fact, having held these in our clients' accounts is exactly what allowed our clients to remain invested to get through that temporary decline, which is p- painful for, for many individuals, but for investors who had government bonds and very, very safe, high-quality investment-grade bonds, our funds had returns anywhere between a 5 to 10% that year. So I hope that helps. Active management, I don't like it. Why? Because I like to go and follow what the evidence shows, which shows it's a loser's game. It's too expensive, and the quality of the bonds are not as high as I would like to see. So hope that helps, Mike. Okay, JC, do we still have uh, that caller? Okay, let's bring him on real quick. Hi, Dave. Thank you for your patience. How may I help you, sir? Hi, uh, Tim. This is Dave from Wormleysburg. I got cut off by last time. That's all right. Okay, my question is... I understand that there seems to be a, a lot of trouble in the economy when two things happen: when the uh, when the ten-year uh, Treasury bond yield is say three point one zero, and the thirty-year Treasury bond is like three point one five. When they get too close together, does that uh, sort of show something bad is going to happen in the economy? I have no idea. And the reason why I say I have no idea is I want to tell you the honest truth. But you know what? No one else does as well. Because when, you've, when you look at the research, which I've done, uh-huh. um, what you'll see is at times it has, other times it has not. In other words, there is absolutely no evidence that is reliable that we can look to that will be a precursor and provide us with a confident answer to what you're asking. So what, what I would suggest Dave is you can find that information and different things that you read of interest, but there is no evidence that indicates that there is any reliable indicator that we can use when we're looking at a flattening yield curve, which is exactly what you're talking about, where long-term r- rates come more in line with shorter-term rates, that we can use as any information that can help us be a better investor. We cannot use that because as the academics have looked at all that, it, it, it there is no reliable, consistent pattern that we can see as a result of that. So sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. So find it of interest, but I would not cause, or I would not encourage you to use any of that information as a way to think of changing how you invest. Keep your investing uh, uh, principles and process. Have them guided by your goals, your financial plan, and all this other information that's out there, always remember the markets know the same thing that you're asking me. Thus, all of that is actually reflected in and baked into the cake. So, I hope that helps you, Dave. I, I have to go to the news, but thank you very much for the call. That was an excellent, excellent thought and question. And I hope that helps. Thanks a lot, Tim. You've been a, you, a lot of help to me. Thank you. Appreciate it. You are welcome, sir. Absolutely. All right. This is Go to the news. We come back, we'll pick right back up. We'd love to hear from you, 717-540-0580 or toll-free 800-724-5801 or shoot me a quick email here live at ffradio.comcast.net. We'll be right back. Sleep
1: well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. This is your financial show, Central PA. Financial freedom on WHP 580. Once again, here's Tim.
0: Welcome back. I love that song. Uh, I have been blessed. I sincerely have been blessed. I'm very fortunate and have a lot to be thankful for. And one of the things that I'm thankful for is that I'm able to spend time with all of you here on Saturday mornings. And uh, I will always be grateful for you taking the time to uh, uh, join me. And hopefully over the years, over the 25 plus years that we've been on the air here in Central pennsylvania in one way or another i've helped you and your family okay let's go back to the phones we have i believe mary from hanover good morning mary how are you
1: good morning nice to listen to your show i think you are similar over the years to bob brinker do you know who bob Brinker was he was a wonderful man who was on the air for years and then he just seemed to i guess retire
0: yeah um I definitely know Brinker. I am very familiar with him. I would say in some ways uh we are similar with our philosophies, but there there in other ways we definitely disagree. Uh Brinker's uh philosophy uh, ultimately was an attempt to be a market timer. In fact, he sold a newsletter called the Bob Brinker Market Timer. In fact, I think he still sells it. And what happened is, uh as is always the case with people who attempt to time the market, Mr. Market is smarter than me or Brinker or anyone else out there, and people that attempt to time the market ultimately uh, get their rear-end kicked <laughs> at some time and what happened is uh, when we went through that major market decline in 2000-2002 the tech bubble um he had been recommending to listeners and investors that they continue to invest in what's called the QQQ which is an ETF that invested in all those big technology names that were flying high there at the end of 1989 I'm sorry, at the end of 1999, and for those that followed that advice, um, they paid heavily as those types of stocks tumbled between 2000 and 2002 at a pace of roughly 75% oh my. or more. So I that ultimately yeah. brought, you know, that really put a black eye on him and uh, his favorable Favorability and following, uh, suffice to say, I became less and less. So, but
1: What I thought of you when I said that was you explained things. He used to explain things a lot. Oh, okay. And this okay. was well, back in 1991 when I was listening to him, not any time recently because I haven't I heard I got it. you. But well, anyway, I was... I'll
0: take that as a compliment and thank you very much, Matthew. But I was He's calling
1: to find out, what's an ETF?
0: Okay, ETF. I
1: have no idea. May I hang up and listen? Absolutely. I just want
0: to hear it. <clears throat> okay, absolutely. Thank you. Five, four, three, two, one. Here you go. I gave you a few seconds. Um, an ETF stands for an exchange-traded fund. So the simplest way to understand it, Mary, is when you think of a mutual fund, a mutual fund is mutually – that's where the phrase mutual comes out mutually you and i and tens of thousands of other investors we put our money into a pot into a one large fund so now we mutually all of us are part owner of that fund so that's what a mutual fund is and then we hire a manager who Based upon what the specific objectives are of that fund, whether it be a stock fund, a bond fund, an international fund, a real estate fund, whatever, um, that manager will then take my thousand, your thousand, and tens of thousands of other thousands and now has a millions of dollars to then on our be on our behalf, again, in line with the objective of the fund to go out and invest it, in whatever stocks or bonds that fund is de- designed to uh, uh, invest in. With a mutual fund, you can buy or sell shares only based upon what the closing share price is at the end of the day. You cannot trade, you cannot buy and sell mutual funds during the middle of of, of the day while the market's open. So that, that means you're not able to buy and sell what's called real-time. You can place your orders during the middle of the day to buy or sell, but that order, that trade, will not be executed until the end of the day based upon that closing share price. An exchange-traded fund without getting too far in the weeds, is basically taking the concept of a mutual fund, where it's still a fund, where investors pool their money together, but you're actually able to trade that, buy and sell it real time throughout the day. So again, similar to a mutual fund, but the main difference is a mutual fund can only be bought or sold based upon the end of the day's closing share price. But an exchange-traded fund, just like buying a regular stock or selling a regular stock that you can do throughout the day, an ETF is priced all day up and down throughout the time that the market is open. The other main difference, and there's is numerous but just a few of the other is unlike a mutual fund when you buy and sell an ETF which is very similar to buy and selling an individual stock there is a bid price and an ask price the bid price is what you can sell it for the ask price is what you pay for it and there is a spread and that spread is obviously a cost that you as the investor will incur. The other thing that we have seen, and this is one of the reasons why for most ETFs, I'm not a huge fan, um, is during times of significant market volatility like we saw in 2008, sometimes those ETFs, they will not trade, the price that they reflect at times were not accurately reflecting what the price should be relative to all of its holdings, and that has to do with lack of liquidity. If you have a rush on something, a major rush on people wanting to sell something, what we saw in the case of some ETFs, that lack of liquidity cause the cause the price that you would be selling to that to actually be less in some instances less than what it should have been relative to all of the different holdings that it had so in summary an ETF you can buy and sell throughout the day mutual fund you cannot um, and there are, are also some some different things as it pertains to taxes uh, etf's in certain times can offer some certain tax advantages that certain mutual funds cannot. So I hope that helps you. And, uh, you know, one one last thing I will say is I think for most investors, they can be a very dangerous tool because the temptation, since you can buy and sell throughout the day, the temptation to do so is greater than it is with regular mutual fund. And as we know, and all the academic evidence shows, those that trade more often end up with worse results. Okay, let's take our last break. When we come back, we'll pick right back up. I would have time for one or two more callers. If you have something, uh, or you can shoot me a quick email, you can call me here, 717-540-0580, or 800-724-5801, or shoot me a quick email at ff. Radio at Comcast.net. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Financial Freedom.
1: Simplified. Do or die. So gong hold to go and pay the price.
0: Here's to leathernecks, Devil, dogs, and jaws. All right, welcome back. Final segment here, of Financial Freedom. Again, thank you for joining us um during one of the breaks uh i was talking i believe it was mike uh who had sent me that email during the show here this morning asking my opinion on the metropolitan west uh total return bond fund and if you recall i had mentioned how important it is and this is why you need to know what you own what you're invested in what if you own a bond fund you need to know what types of bonds are in that fund as well as the duration which is which has to do with the interest rate risk of that bond fund and a great test is to go back and see okay how did this fund hold up in 2008 because remember you want your bond funds to be like i said the shock absorber the airbag of your portfolio and if there's ever a time you want them to do what you're hoping they will do it's during the time such as 2008 when we saw the second sharpest stock market decline here in the u.s since the great depression i mean from peak to trough which was like i said from october uh, october 9th Down through March 9th of 2009, the S&P 500 index here in the U.S. had a decline of roughly 55%. Well, let's look, which is what I did, what this Metropolitan West total return bond fund's return was. According to Morningstar, which I'm looking at right now, um... While the average investment grade bond fund had a positive return, which I told you, this is what you want ideally, it had a positive return. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the, the Barclays U.S. aggregate bond index, which would be very similar to like a Vanguard total return bond fund was up a little bit more than 5%. This Metropolitan West Total Return Bond Fund had a negative return, which is what you don't want. It was down a little over 1%. What you want is you want your bonds, again, to not only hold up, but if you own predominantly U.S. government bonds, which I'm a huge fan of, Then the majority of time, not every time, but the majority of the time when we've had major bear markets in the past, they have actually not only held up, but have actually gone up. So hope that helps. At the very beginning of the show, I was talking about the two portfolio choices that you could have made at the beginning of the year. One was investing everything in the S&P 500 index, which now, if you look at the returns right now, would have provided you a return of roughly around 10% year to date. Or had you invested in a portfolio, which is with significantly less risk, rather than just riding everything on the S&P 500 index, you instead chose to invest in a beautiful, globally diversified portfolio. That not only included companies like the S&P 500 index, but also had roughly a third of your investment outside the U.S., two-thirds here in the U.S., but additionally included some small small company stocks, some mid-size, some value companies, some growth Uh, in your international. You have some emerging markets, you have some established international markets, but you also had roughly 30 to 40% in investment-grade, mostly government bonds. That portfolio year-to-date is roughly up about 2% versus the S&P is up 10 So here's what I want to ask you. Does that make your decision to invest in a globally diversified portfolio versus the S&P only? Does that make your decision to go with a globally diversified portfolio the wrong one? The answer emphatically is no. Because there will be times, as there ha- ha- have been in the past, where with much less risk by investing in that glo- globally diversified portfolio, not only will it, are, are you taking much less risk? but there are times that you are going to outperform the S&P. And you never want to unvalidate the process that you chose as your way of investing if it's guided by sound, evidence-based academic research because in the short term, and we're only talking, you know, nine months here the outcome is not what you wished it would be what we're going to do next week is we're going to pick back up on this discussion and I'm really going to uh, uh, get more in depth on or, or or into why it is important to focus on what you can control which is the process and not waste your time focusing on the outcome which you cannot control because the outcome is simply going to be a byproduct of whatever process you follow so it's important to have a process that again is evidence-based is grounded in academic research and if you use that and you follow that and you have the discipline to stick with it the outcome over time will take care of itself. Well, we're going to say goodbye. Thank you again for your time. I hope this was helpful, and I look forward to being with you next week. Remember, in the world of investing, it's not ever easy to do the right thing.